Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Kafaru Cast. Uh, I am still COVID free, uh, just to let everybody know. Um, and <laughs> while I say that, uh, I'm assuming my guest today is COVID free as well. But I have got uh, Corey from Dallas Safari Club uh, on uh, to talk about the organization and what they do. Uh, thanks for hopping on here. Hey, Aaron. Thanks for having me, buddy. I appreciate it. Are you COVID free? Are you not, no issues? <laughs> I am. I have uh, conformed with the uh, governor and officials' directives, and uh, my family's been holed up like everybody else, I think. Gotcha. Well, man, why don't you, uh, you know, starting off, just tell everybody a little bit about the organization. I'm very familiar with it, just, you know, obviously being in the industry and, and uh, what you guys do. But for people that, uh, that don't know, kind of give uh, everybody a rundown. You bet. Well, thanks for the opportunity to do that, Aaron. I'd I am Poria, the executive director here, and I have the great privilege of, of helping lead this organization. And it is an organization in which it's very unique, uh, and we're uniquely mission-focused. We're a, a pretty lean, mean organization. We're lightly staffed, uh, and I take great pride in that uh, because we, we maximize every dollar that comes in uh, to turn around and focus in on conservation-specific projects. Uh, we're head, headquartered here in Dallas, Texas, uh, but our, our conservation footprint is globally, and and we can talk about that in a little bit more detail. But, you know, where we work is, is right here in our backyard in the great state of Texas. It's all over North America and essentially projects in every continent around the world. Um, we have a broad scope of work. You know, we have a chapter footprint in North America. We have purposefully not expanded beyond that at this point in time yet. Uh, obviously, we have an annual convention uh, that is our primary fundraiser for the year that occurs in early January that we use to generate our funds. Now, that convention is it's really unique because it's a, it kind of has its own feel about it. it it's just a real celebration type of event. It's a celebration of the outdoors, a celebration of hunting, conservation, and, and even maybe more and or equally importantly, it's a celebration of the camaraderie that comes from the Fellowship of Hunters as well. And uh, and it's about relationships, and we take great pride in that. And our you know our mission can simply be boiled down to, to three words, and that's conservation, education, and advocacy. Um, and we focus really specifically on those tenets of our mission, and and um, and we focus specifically on how we spend our dollars to make sure that we're meeting current conservation needs as well as emerging issues as well. And I I will say that that I've only been to the uh, the Dallas show a couple times. That is a powerhouse of a show. We actually uh, this year it got we, we you know we were gonna have a booth there. We got screwed up, but it's. Um, it, like you said, it is a unique group of people. When I first went down there, I was expecting, um, what's the word? Maybe, um, bedazzled jeans and, uh, oh, <laughs> it, there, it, there's a, it's amazing because there is, there's a lot of money at the show, but it is, uh, you know, it's all the way, you know, the, the everyday hunter all the way up to a guy that may be trying to get a tag for, you know, whatever stone, desert, bighorn, whatever. I mean, it's a, it's a very well-rounded group of people and it, and it's fun. Um, so it, I was, I was surprised when I was down there, uh, to see it was a bit different than, and then what I, what I had expected, but you know, as, as far as your focus or your direction, it's so broad. Um, you guys have your hands in everything, uh, you know, from what I have seen, can you, can you kind of touch on maybe, some of the more highlights of what's happened in the last five years, some of the different programs you've guys dealt with and, and things like that. Yeah, you bet. So we, you know, we focus, uh, we have a large presence of advocacy uh, and I'll start with that because that relates specifically to every hunter out there. You know, when I say advocacy, I mean specifically taking 
the specifically directly demonstrated benefit of conservation through hunting model to elected officials. Uh, if that's in Washington, D.C., uh, if that's at a state capital, the United States, or if that's in the EU Parliament, wherever it might be, we have a voice there directly or indirectly, working through partners or through our lobbyists that may be in Washington, D.C., or other states as well, and working through our partners as well, like I mentioned, and really for the focus of science-based conservation. And so that advocacy kind of sets the tone for the need, again, for elected officials to be well-informed and make decisions. And that's obviously an ever-growing and ongoing battle there. Uh, but when you look at our conservation footprint proper, it's something that we take great pride in because it is very diverse, to your point, Aaron. If it's uh, you know support for Delta waterfowl needed projects for research, uh, we've done that, and we've done that significantly in the past. And we work with conservation partners, like, say, for example, over the last year, we've had a really cool project going on with the Wild Sheep Foundation in Mexico uh, where we are restoring sheep to a formerly occupied mountain range, uh, but in the last 40 years it had no sheep on it. Um, and so truly putting sheep back on the mountain, working with the great partners like Wild Sheep Foundation, uh, restoring pronghorn in the West, translocating and working with state conservation agencies for everything from disease pathology work that needs to be done when the, when the pronghorn are in hand to transmitters on them to learn about their movements and migrations, and then obviously just the restoration activities proper that happen. Um, and it may be anti-poaching projects that we're working on around the world, or it may be human wildlife conflict projects that we're working on. Uh, there's a really cool project. Uh, you know, people don't traditionally think about human wildlife conflict uh, as maybe one of the forefront things of wildlife conservation, but it's a very meaningful thing in some, some countries outside of the Western world. Uh, we have one particular project. It's a really unique project. The DSC and DSC Foundation have really kind of taken ownership in, and it's a project in Africa in which we purchase these um, illuminated lights that are solar-powered, obviously, because they're extremely remote, and they have this ever-changing pulsing pattern at night, essentially to, to create a, a disillusion or a, a essentially a, a concept of where the lions and leopards don't come into the livestock bombers and essentially houses and eat you know, someone's livelihood of six, eight, ten goats or sheep. And so it's reducing that conflict so then those people don't just indirectly or indiscriminately poison those animals and predators. Uh, giving those those animals, you know, essentially a, a value at that point. And so our our, our conservation portfolio is, the, is very diverse, uh, but rather in our granting of projects, we very systematically work through a, uh, a very high-level conservation advisory board as well as a, a knowledge and forethought and communication working directly with partners like Fish and Wildlife Service and Department of the Interior to hit these needs as they are occurring. And we work very proactive as well, working on needed research in the western U.S., grizzly bear needs, those kinds of things. So it's kind of a general field of some of our projects. Gotcha. Now, when you, you know, you talk about like the grizzly issue, I may have shot the last or one of the last uh, grizzlies in British Columbia. I, I was I was trying to kill one with a bow. And yeah. uh, Jeff Lander, the outfit I was with, was like, hey, man, I know you don't want to do this. You You may want to pick up a gun tonight. Uh, and I'm like, what, why, what, what's up? He said, the the NDP, the new, what is it? Neutral democratic party, whatever, whatever it is up there. Uh, they're going to be, they're voted into office. They're going to be, however it was happening. He said this, it's going to be banned. There's not going to be grizzly hunting. Um, you know, and you look at something like that, how, how much, uh, how many, what involvement did you guys have in that as far as trying to stop that from happening? What involvement will you guys have in that when it gets reintroduced, which it will, or, or kick back into play? And 
you know, yeah, what are your thoughts on that in general? Like I, I've, I've done a few podcasts, I've done a lot of research on this and it's kind of weird. You, some, some of the different organizations, um, while they, they'll, they'll say, um, you know, we're totally against the, the bear ban, you know, I, I dug a little deeper and then I found out they were, they, they, there was monies coming to them or partnerships they had with the, um, I believe it's called the Western law firm, which had a huge part in getting grizzlies banned, grizzly bear hunting banned in British Columbia. And a roundabout question with, with you, what's your stance on that? And, and uh, you know, what are you guys doing about it? And, and what, what did you try to do? Yeah, you bet. So we are actively engaged with the Outfitting Association there, GOABC, Guide Outfitters Association of British Columbia. Uh, we have a strong relationship with them, uh, and we support them uh, financially uh, to a significant level. Um, in fact, uh, they are a significant contributor to our convention as well, and we support them there in auctions as well. And so we're, we're in that battle directly shoulder to shoulder with them. Uh, so just a little background on me. I'm a wildlife biologist, certified wildlife biologist, and spent prior 16 years to come into DSC uh, working for a state conservation agency in research, uh, development of programs, public lands, public hunting, all of those kinds of things. And so to me, if it's not science-based wildlife conservation uh, and it's politically driven, it, it essentially is, is obviously a misguided venture there, and it, it doesn't fall back on the tenet of North American wildlife management uh, and if there's an organization uh, that is that is uh, at least maybe as a facade or seemingly supporting that by lip service, but not supporting it via dollars and skin in the game, uh, essentially they're part of the problem. Uh, not only they're not helping, they're part of the problem. And so, if a conservation organization, in my opinion, is not in this kind of a, a battle, if it's the Yellowstone Grizzly or if it's the British Columbia Grizzly, if they're not in that battle. Uh, I would challenge someone to really consider their value. I agree. Um, I mean, do you, does, does DSC, do they, I mean, do you guys, are you funded in any way by, by anti, you know, hunting, anti-predator hunting, anti, you know, second amendment organizations, or do you guys try to steer clear of that? I know there's a kind of the, the saying or whatever for the greater good. Right. And I, I don't follow along with though that, that, that outlook saying, oh, it's, it's okay to take you know, 150,000 here and 70,000 there from, from anti-hunting organizations if it's heading toward the greater good because that is a real slippery slope because you, you end up serving multiple masters and that never works. Do you guys do that or do you do you feel that's okay? And and as I asked that, I probably should have found out because I'm going to look like a dickhead if you do. Uh, but what do you feel that on that note, on that subject? Yeah, absolutely not. Uh, we are funded solely on the backs of hunters uh, and our, and our conservation projects that we roll out, uh, support hunters unapologetically. Uh, you know, our, our primary funding mechanism, and when I say primary, 90 plus percent of it comes from our annual convention. And, and Aaron, you've been there, you know what it's like. I mean, it is a, a celebration of hunting, like I mentioned. And so the dollars that we raise come from auction revenues, uh, that are associated with those kinds of experiences, outdoor hunts. There's some fishing trips, obviously. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the dollars, the people that contribute to us directly, uh, some individuals, uh, they're all in the hunting community. So, no, we take no dollars from anyone that's, uh, that's anti-hunting. And, and I would certainly, again, question an organization's uh, direction and focus, if you will, if there was a, a subservice by taking dollars from someone that was not directly invested in hunting. Uh, because, like you say, they, 
if it come time to go into the polls or supporting a piece of legislation, if they wavered on that at all, it would be very telling. Uh, where we are obviously a pro Second Amendment organization, uh, and again, unapologetically supportive of the conservation through hunting model, with with no wavering on that whatsoever. Gotcha. And I mean, you guys have been doing this for. Well, I should have looked it up. How long have you, when did you, when were you guys founded? Because it's, it's uh, decades. It is. 1982 was really the foundation of DSC. I gotcha. And um, it kind of jumping around here, and I, I know I'm firing rounds at you at a rapid rate all over the board. How much do you guys generate from the, uh, the, the DSC show alone? Yeah, so last year, let me kind of back into that question to use a couple of numbers here. So last year we generated, or excuse me, we gave out, uh, two and a half million dollars in conservation grants. Uh, and by and far, the majority of that came from the convention. Uh, you know, we have a few uh, donors that come in, but by and large, I mean, you can consider essentially that being revenue generated from the convention that either goes out in the form of a grant through DSC, if it's advocacy related, like, for example, maybe a partner we have in Washington, D.C., like Congressional Sportsman's or something. Uh, but uh, And then the re- remainder of that goes out through our foundation. Gotcha. Now, when, uh, when, you know, again, we're bouncing all over the place. Um, I should follow my list better with the, uh, potential reintroduction of wolves to Colorado, along with the, you know, the banning of, of grizzly hunting in, in British Columbia and a lot of other things going on. Are you guys getting involved in that, um, directly or indirectly? And, and actually, if, I guess if you are, where can other people get involved other than just joining Dallas Fire Club? But, uh, what are you guys doing as far as that goes? Yeah, you know, but I've had, I don't know, probably it feels like five or ten conversations in the last couple of weeks about that particular issue. And, again, as a biologist and as a hunter, uh, I have pretty significant concerns about uh, reengaging or restoring a species in which the, a neighbor has shown in that, uh, you know, you look at the, the, the greater Yellowstone ecosystem where the state found that the species had been restored the federal government, the Fish and Wildlife Service, uh, found that the species had been restored, and then one judge, Judge Dana Christensen, overturned all of that. And so that precedent alone should give us significant pause to recognize that states will no longer don't really have the ability to manage those species in which they feel like they need to, with the essentially at the whim of special interest groups. And some of these judges like Judge Christensen. And so, yeah, there's a significant concern there. So we we are we are involved in that. Uh, and again, as a biologist, uh, if, if those species are, are reintroduced with no plans of management, it, it's not a good plan. One of the things I heard that I was a little bit uh, astounded by, I guess, cause I, you know, I'd hunted that area, the, the low, low herd, for example, that, that area, and that was a very premier, very, a, a very fun hunt. And f- relatively quickly, once their wolves were reintroduced, they more or less shut down that unit. And I have heard, and even in, including members of other organizations and, and actually board members say, well, the, when they went in, the biologists found out it was actually black bears. Well, how the hell does that happen? Because black bears have been in there since the beginning of time. And magically, the, 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 the wolves had nothing to do with it. The bears just started eating more elk, which is feasible, I, I guess, somehow. But the, the wolves had a major, major, major swing, uh, in the ecosystem up there. And as, as you being a wildlife biologist, it would seem to me that it, that would be kind of a giant beacon, um, stating, Hey, wolves are a bad idea. And I know they spin it and they're like, Hey, there's plants growing back. And, 
you know, multiple other things. The Wolves were good for this, but I mean, Hunters could have handled the situation to begin with. But I guess, what are your your personal views on that entire wolf reintroduction up there? Your personal views on on the potential wolf reintroduction in Colorado, and and indirectly, because I'm going to get this. What exactly, to the best of your knowledge, are you guys doing to combat that? Yeah, that first that concept of uh, prey switching, uh, you know, may occur, but it occurs not at a level of like those uh, charismatic megafauna like wolf and bears. It rather it occurs with the difference in like foxes and coyotes that maybe have overlapping habitat and they switch from prey to an abundance of a year of rabbits versus rats or something like that. Yeah, that certainly happens. But uh, the transition of bears to all of a sudden, you know, primarily forage on 80% of a diet change to deer or something, that that just doesn't happen in the absence of everything else. And so that's a pretty poor excuse from uh, from a biologist to say that, you know, they had such a significant prey shift. I wouldn't buy that at all. Uh, so that's uh, that kind of discredits anybody's, uh, you know, thought there. Um, but, you know, as far as the concept of reintroduction, and again, my, my view of it would be unbelievably cautious, if at all, uh, in the sense of what we have seen from a state and or a federal perspective and the willingness to manage that species. If wolves are reintroduced and there is not a management plan that sets a population growth desired rate and a threshold in which management actions, and by that I mean, hunter's role would engage, um, I would be unbelievably cautious about it. Um, and we've had those kinds of conversations with, uh, those elected officials that are around those sort of uh, groups associated with that are, that are advocating for these types of things. Uh, and again, we just, we look just, just essentially to the left or the right and we can see examples in which, you know, bears were with the opportunity to hunt a bear based on science and it was shut down. Why would we have any belief to think that we'll have the opportunity to control these wolves when they hit a population level in which they need to be controlled? Uh, you know, we don't have any demonstrated success that we can see that or point to that. You know, you did a hell of a lot better job explaining that than I did, but I said pretty much the same thing, just not nearly as intelligent, was, hey, I, I'm not totally opposed if if Colorado is going to reintroduce them one way or another. I, I get it. But a management plan needs to be basically written in blood, exactly, yep. and not detoured from that we all agree on. And when I say we all, meaning people like yourself, um, you know, hunters, that okay, this is what's going to happen the moment they hit, they cross this threshold. But there's so many, and you've you've brought up one very good one. There's so many other examples that that never happens, and. Even if it is said it will happen, it'll get, I don't know what the terminology is, vetoed, trumped, uh, shit can basically by someone in higher power that says, well, I don't agree with that and we're not going to do it. And then you're, you're kind of screwed because you're past the point of no return. The damage will be done. That is, uh, it's not irreparable, but you're talking years and years and years or decades to get it back to where it was. And, and it's an uphill fight from what I've seen anyway. Yeah, that's, that's totally fair. So you have the loss of game species and obviously the other species that aren't as visible as some of the game species. But then you have, you know, those that make a living on the land. And we have to be very empathetic and understanding of the landowners as well that are in those areas. You know, the livestock ranchers, if it's sheep, cattle, whatever it might be, uh, the impact that they're going to have. And so uh, obviously they're going to take matters in their own hands at some point, you know, uh, as most people would, you know, it's your livelihood. And so, yeah, there's so many facets to that that, uh, and again, we have not seen demonstrated success, so I'm a skeptic. 
Yeah, they don't stop eating elk and deer. They just move on to livestock and things of, of that nature. And then there's obviously a, a burden financially to the the state of loss and monetary funds from hunters coming in. Um, you know, when that doesn't happen, there's obviously not hunters in the local areas buying groceries, food, things like that. But then there's the loss of cattle. But there's also then going to be the federal and state uh, funded hunters that come in that no one ever wants to talk about, like bears are still dying in the springtime in Colorado. We may have banned spring bear hunting, but they're dying all the time um, or getting transplanted or whatever, which is coming from taxpayer dollars. And, and wolves are, in my opinion, far more of a problem than a black bear. You know, they're eating machines and they don't stop. And, and you know, they people say they you know, they only eat the young and the wounded and they, they only kill what they eat. And, and none of that shit is true. They eat everything and they don't just eat what they kill. They, well, you know, I don't need to go on that. Now, as far as, um, with what you guys are doing, uh, to try to combat that, are you just helping local organizations and things like that? Or are you doing, um, uh, above and beyond that as far as your organization specifically? Yeah, so uh, our particular role has been engagement of essentially information. You know, uh, it's having these kinds of conversations with, uh, uh, if it's elected officials, if it's those associated in the communities with these things, looking for good information. It's been surprising to me, in a, in a very favorable way, the number of people that have reached out just asking asking my opinion, you know. And again, we take that as a huge compliment uh, because they're leaning on the agency as a sort of a respected authority um, you know, hey, what do you think about this? And then they're using that to form their own opinions. And so, uh, as you well know, you know, there's there's nothing more powerful than an informed stakeholder. If that's someone that then has an engaged base, if you will, that then has the ability to pick up the phone or email and contact their elected official, that is one of the most powerful tools that the honey community uses so poorly uh, that we need to work on. Gotcha. Well, when it comes to information, I, uh, God, I hate to use the word, uh, we're doing so well at sounding, or you are making me sound more intelligent than I am, but baffling people with bullshit. I am astonished at when it comes, whether it be wolves or, or, um, you know, the, the grizzly portion of this, and we'll get off predators here in a minute, but my, my partner in crime here, Frank, the tank, uh, his, uh, he, he's he's in love and he's they're going to I'm, I, I'm leading up to a, an end of this story they they're all around Denver going on dates things like that and Frank Frank is in downtown Denver and uh you know a dreadlock hippie kind of a person walks up hey will you sign this and it's a petition to reintroduce wolves in Colorado Frank's like uh no um have you ever been outside the city uh no why well why would you want wolves here? Oh, they're cool, man. Have you ever seen one? Well, on TV, he's like, well, how do you know they're cool? You never seen <laughs> one. Well, that, that is what we were dealing with here. The majority yep. of, I would say, you know, whatever the ballot or whatever the, the, um, the campaign or whatever you want to call it of signatures, I would say from what I've seen, 99% of those people have never seen a wolf have never been around wolves, have never been around the areas where they can see the damage wolves have done. And trying to get info out, you know, you, you like when in BC they had the, uh, you know, the two cubs, uh, no mom, right? And, uh, you know, hunters did this. Well, it's not even legal, uh, to, you know, to <laughs> what 
it's it's like I said, baffling people with with bullshit. And that was kind of what I was trying to lead. You guys do a very good job of getting actual hands on realistic knowledge out there, not just fake facts. Um, so, and, and you guys have done very well with that. So um, I guess moving on, um, what are do you guys have anything big coming up? When I say big, meaning any major, um, I guess, programs going on or, or ones you've just finished up with? Yeah, you know, we had a big world event that was coming up in June that's been postponed, and that's the IUCN World Conservation Congress. So DSC has one of the sort of unique distinctions of being a member of that organization, which is the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. And although that may be sort of a, an unknown to many, uh, many in the hunting community, it's an extremely important organization because it influences global policy associated with hunting and wildlife trade and just basic principles on you know, uh, uplisting, downlisting of species and all these kinds of things and how it essentially how these communities relate to each other and much of the direction the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is an outpouring of these kinds of conferences. And we have been working on online motions and queuing those kind of things up. And obviously because of COVID, like many things in the world, it was delayed uh, until January. Uh, but my point is, is we're engaged in a lot of those forums. And again, many of these are behind the behind the scene things that people don't even know to think about, but they're extremely important because they shape policy associated with, with wildlife trade. And in the same arenas, though, probably more important to everybody here on the phone or on the radio listening is the fact that this is something in which the anti-hunting organizations, such as the Humane Society and the Born Freeze and the Center for Biological Diversity, where they engage to get their anti-hunting agendas fulfilled one bite at a time. And they, they chip off on something or they pull away on wildlife trade and they try to include, you know, uh, legally taken animals. And it's one bite at a time in which they work. And it kind of leads into a larger conversation, Aaron, about essentially the, the influence of these organizations uh, and, and really the hunter's role and the need to engage. And I, I spoke about it a while ago, but, you know, there's a, there's a broad complacency of the hunting community when you, you we talk about grizzly bears and you know, maybe there's there's hunters here that, that think I'm just an elk hunter or maybe I'm a pronghorn hunter or whatever it might be, but they think I you know, I'm I'm my my form of recreation is safe. Uh well I'm here to validate to everybody out there that, that it's not. These organizations that I like I mentioned work extremely strategically, one bite at a time. It's grizzly bears, next it's mountain lion, next it's black bears, then it's wolves, and then it's et cetera, et cetera, fill in the blank. And so there's, there's all of these threats that are occurring, and we're in those spaces. We're fighting those threats. We're fighting those opponents directly and indirectly. So we spend a huge amount of time on sort of that half of our work. And then the other half of the work is on delivering needed conservation projects. And, and again, it, it's projects here. We're engaged in a number of projects here in North America, from, from sheep to elk to, to all kinds of things. So, Again, we have our fingerprints on lots of things right now. What would you say, and I'll chime in with my two cents from the outside looking in, would be uh, maybe a downfall, um, something that you guys haven't focused on or a demographic you haven't focused on that you're going to try to work on? You know, I, I look at things kind of, you know, I'm, I uh, was extremely poor to middle ground to getting to go with the Lancasters on a lot of different hunts and getting more into the... Um, the uh the upper upper echelon of hunts with sheep and things like that so i've i've kind of gotten to be fairly well rounded seeing the different uh, all the different levels cultures however you want to put that have you guys 
I, I guess this is more personal opinion than anything. Is there anything you guys want to focus on more or feel you haven't done a good job on? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. You know, one of the things that we, we try to do is, is maintain our focus but be relevant to the broad hunting community. Uh, and that's one of the challenges we face because we, as we try to be more relevant to the broadest hunting community, at the same time we feel ourselves redacted back to fighting where the battles occur. And those battles may make us less relevant to, say, uh, the deer hunter, mule deer, whitetail, whatever it might be, uh, recognizing that, like I mentioned, that the battles that we're fighting have long-lasting and far-reaching ramifications that if we're not on those front lines fighting in Washington, D.C., or maybe fighting the born freeze and the humane societies that we fight so vehemently in Africa, those battles are coming to North America even stronger. Uh, and so that is one of those challenges that we face frequently, Aaron, is, is trying to reach and be broadly available and relevant, but yet, you know, continuing to fight where we have to fight. Gotcha. And I would, uh, I would concur. That would be, I'd say the number one thing, you know, from the outside looking in and, 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 you know, this social media, right, is, is, is newer and, and definitely, um, difficult and unknown to an older crowd and, and sometimes overlooked, but very important to the younger generation. Uh, and that is one thing that, uh, some of the new organizations I, I definitely would say do well as they cater to the younger crowd. And, and you guys spent, you know, so you, you, you've been doing it so long focusing on this giant broader spectrum that sometimes it gets overlooked. And that, that is one thing I would say is, is, um, I, I, I recently was into a, a conversation with, um, few young guys, few old guys, and a few rich guys, right? A little bit of everybody. Th- this was also um, kind of a joint conversation, as you can imagine. We were talking about Dallas Safari Club, Safari Club International, Wild Sheep Foundation. And one of the things that was were brought up was uh, it's just a bunch of rich uh, – this was for all of the organizations, but, uh, you know, rich uh, oil barons from Texas. And I'm like, well – those really rich oral barons from Texas donate a shit ton of money, not only to sheep, but to mule deer because they hunt mule deer. They don't just go hunt elephants. They hunt everything. And they are putting monies into not just uh, a stone sheep, not just heading to Africa because they hunt everything. They hunt in Texas. They hunt in Colorado. They hunt in Wyoming. And I was trying to, you know, imprint on them or, 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 or force upon them the fact that just because it's, uh, you know, Dallas Safari Club or, or whatever, that the members of that organization and where that money comes from, uh, goes to a much broader spectrum than they think, because pretty much every hunter that I know hunts as much as they can. They may hunt doves, they may hunt ducks, they may hunt mule deer, and they may go to Africa occasionally. They may go on a stone or doll sheep hunt. Well, it costs a lot of money to combat some of these other anti-hunting organizations. And, you know, when you look at it, we're also funding conservation, meaning the tag allocation, or excuse me, the money that that is allocated from the tags and, and things like that. That goes to everything from, you know, obviously the state parks. It goes all over the place. And, and, and also, you know, the when I say conservation, meaning maybe transplanting or wildlife habitat. Um, and then we have to battle, uh, you know, like whatever, save the whales, PETA. And they don't do shit 
for conservation. They don't do anything. I've I've never seen PETA show up to transplant sheep uh, or anything like that. And so getting that out, and I'm, I'm, I'm rambling here. Um, do you have anything I guess you could add to that or you might want to add to that as I'm rambling on? No, you're exactly right. Uh, when you look at the difference in a, what I'm going to call a conservation organization, and that's one that truly puts their money where the mouth is, and and uh, and those that it's not, you know, if it's a PETA or Humane Society or Center for Biological Diversity, when you look at what their staff composition is of those organizations, they're staffed with attorneys. They're not staffed with scientists and biologists. Uh, they're they're there to sue and litigate to get the ultimate outcome that they desire. It's not in the best interest of the species. Rather, it's their selfish desired outcome. And organizations like those that you mentioned there, Sheep and SCI and DSC, spend many, many millions of dollars every year on conservation projects for either maintaining or restoring habitat, putting sheep on the mountain, put elk back, or whatever, fill in the species, Markor in, in Asia, whatever it might be, uh, or, or safeguards around those species or needed research to understand those species' life requisites and needs as well. Uh, and, and, you know, one of those unsung things that comes from that is the hunter's role in non-game management. You know, the millions and millions of acres that are restored and are maintained as wildlife habitat because of the value of hunting and the benefit that has in non-game species. That conversation hardly never takes place, but the hunter has a direct role in management of all species. Um, and so, yeah, those organizations can sometimes be sort of pigeonholed into maybe the logo that they have or their the image that people conjure up in their mind based on a stereotype, and, and maybe historically that was fair. But nowadays it's not. When you look at, like you mentioned, the composition does a sort of a microcosm of DSC, and you look at who attends our convention, you know, you see people that will never leave the state of Texas that enjoy hunting hogs and deer, and that is wonderful. We welcome them. We spend money on those kind of projects and restoration uh, locally, if you will, at the state level. Uh, and then we have hunters that hunt, like you mentioned, mountain species, um, and we support those through Western associations, et cetera. And we have hunters that hunt all over the world, but the point is that the hunter's a hunter. They hunt where they would like to go, and they hunt as much as they can, and we try to support that in its fullest sense. Uh, definitely. And, I, you know, I look at, again, I look at this thing from a very unique perspective in, in a lot of ways because I, I, I do join along on trail restoration groups, right, and different organizations and 14er clubs and things that don't have shit to do with hunting basically. And then I've always, obviously I'm, you know, a member, uh, financially help whatever through Kafaru myself on the different organizations that are pro hunting. And one of the things that, that gets brought up constantly, as you can imagine is, you know, public land. What are, what is, what is Dallas Safari Club doing, if anything at all, to help defend public land in North America? Um, you know, and, and, and I guess what I'm asking is what are you doing? And how do you feel that sometimes, you know, when you're looking at, at, at public land, um, depending upon how you label uh, what you're doing, has a lot to do with the public's outlook, even though you may be defending public land, even though that's not what the title you put on it. And I don't know if I made sense of that. You may be defending public land by default just because of the program or, or the, whatever you're specifically working on that time. Did I make sense of that at all? Cause I kind of screwed that up. Hopefully that did. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I got you completely. And, and I'll tell you really our, our engagement in, in, in say the Western U S specifically when I think of public land, I think most people's minds kind of go there to the Western U S has been more and more over the last two or three years in the sense that we have a really close relationship with the department of the interior 
from the secretary's office on through their staff there, uh, and obviously BLM side and Forest Service side and Fish and Wildlife Service side, kind of all the different touches there, um, and specifically strong support from the development of migration corridors and open access to public land uh, from a hunting and fishing perspective. Uh, obviously, we, we strongly support that. And then sort of at a, at a heightened level as well, working with state conservation agencies, now not federal, but state conservation agencies on the essence of public land as well, in the sense of like water developments. We spend a fair amount of money on an annual basis for guzzler development. You know, we'll, we may partner with Mule Deer Foundation or Bighorn, uh, Texas Bighorn Society or, uh, you know, somewhere in Mexico or, you know, Arizona, whatever it might be. And so different kind of touches within public land, but the essence of supporting the ability for hunters and anglers to get access uh, and then thus the need to maintain those, those as quality habitats as well. And I come from a background of delivering prescribed fire as well as recognizing that as one of the most beneficial wildlife management tools that there is in the toolbox, as well as a strong supporter of, you know, prescribed fire as needed to manage forest systems uh, and grassland systems as well. And so we even have some knowledge base and some support that we provided there and BLM, et cetera. So we play a pretty active role in, uh, in the guidance of, of public land as well. Gotcha. And I, I think that gets overlooked just because you're, you know, you don't label it that, you know, you're not labeled, you know, Dallas Safari Club public land advocates. I just know you do it. And so I, and, and yeah. that, um, you know, that, that, how you label something goes along, you know, a long way. And, and again, I think part of that too, is you guys have done, you know, I'm sure somebody will listen to this, man, you've done a piss poor job catering to the younger generation and the younger crowd, not on purpose. You're just busy doing other stuff, right? You're, you're, yep. you, you've got a lot of other things going on and you know, the younger crowd, you know, that, that talks to me, I'm like, Hey guys, I, I, I get it. I had no idea what these organizations do when I was younger. And then I got involved with, um, I bring the Lancasters up a lot just cause I'm good friends with them. But you know, I, I, I got involved with, uh, obviously we have booths at, at the different shows and I got involved in, you know, helping out guiding some sheep hunts. And I'm like, wow, these guys do a lot more than I had realized. But I think you guys, as you said, you know, you're catching on to that, that, you know, you might need to let people know, especially the younger generation, what you're actually doing to defend their, you know, their hunting rights. And Texas is such a broad state of, you know, I go down there all the time and I'm hunting mule deer, whitetail and owdad in northern Texas. And then I go down into central, southern or the hill country and I'm hunting hogs or turkeys. And, you know, Texas is a big state and there's a lot going on, but that's just where you guys hang your hat. You're all, you're, you're all the way from Africa to Montana or wherever else. And you have a lot going on. So as I, as I'm rambling here, is there anything else you kind of want to hit or touch on, uh, as far as the organization goes? You know, I I feel like we've kind of touched a bunch of bases there as far as, you know, the scope of DSC and the type of work that we do. And, you know, we will be the first to fully acknowledge, uh, the fact and the need to just sometimes slow down and communicate better. There's no doubt about that. And, and uh, like I mentioned, that, that we, we move fast. We're kind of always evolving in our – one of the, the aspects of DSC that, that, we're, that I'm particularly proud of is in the growth capacity is our advocacy that we recently hired a manager of advocacy. So, so now there's someone there that's focused on it full-time, as, as I am, most of the time as well. But So we have that growth there. So my point of bringing that up is that 
those that are familiar with DSC and maybe those that, that want to check it out at this point uh, will continue to see more and more growth in that in that particular capacity of uh, you know being active in, in state capitals around the, the U.S. Uh, provinces around uh, the Canadian provinces as well as uh, obviously Washington D.C. And, and then around the world. So uh, we have a, a pretty st- a strategic and, and narrow focus here on what we're working on. It touches a lot of species, but you know, we're in the game, and, and I think we're focused on the right things for, for hunters. Gotcha. Uh, one thing I was going to bring up or, or ask you, do you guys have any spokesmen, well-known names, you know, people, uh, you know, that are listening in that may be able to, to look on to, to kind of, I don't say emulate, but follow along, see what they're doing? And, and uh, so, yeah, basically spokesmen for, for DSC? You know, we do and we don't at the same time. So, you know, one of our sort of ambassadors is maybe a word that I would use uh, that's, that's been associated with DSC for a long time, pretty well known in the hunting community. He's Larry Wysoon, good friend of ours. Um, you know, he, he represents DSC in lots of arenas from chapters to various things like that. But but we don't invest a lot of dollars into spokesmen, if you will. Rather, we focus those dollars on conservation projects. So, you know, we have a lot of num- we have a number of people in the hunting community that that have seen what DSC has done and our growth and really where we're focused in our mission here and rather have come along on their own and are now spokesmen for DSC, but because they see that we're doing the thing that needs to be done. Do you feel, this is totally a marketing side, looking at all the different organizations, do you feel you guys should do that to help get the word out or are you like, screw it, we're putting all the money back into it? Because it's weird how the world works with marketing. If you proclaim it, it will be so. So if you have enough people that are, you know, well-known in the industry proclaiming something is great, it can turn into something great, whether it is or not. Do you feel you guys should focus on that more or, or more than you have been or let it ride? You know, we've had those conversations actually recently, uh, and, and, our, and our business model is a little different. And, and like you say, you can sort of create a self-fulfilling prophecy by, by just, you know, having people out there tell others about you. Uh, we've sort of taken a a very humble approach and head down and absolutely just just getting the work done. Uh, I, I'm going to interrupt you. I, I know you have, and that's, I think, to your detriment. <laughs> because yep. you, No, I hear you. You, no, you, that's, that's you, a you don't have anybody proclaiming you guys are awesome, um, but I mean, yep. you guys do great things. Sorry, go ahead. No, I, I agree with you. That That's exactly a, a very fair thing to say. And and uh, so it, it's something that we've considered, uh, and, it, and it's probably still, it's on the table, uh, but but I don't know where we would reach out. And I'll tell you that we set such a, a very high standard of ethics for our organization. And if someone isn't compliant exhibitor, et cetera, you know, we, we respectfully let them know that this isn't the place for you. And so um, it would be a, a conversation as well as to maybe what that right person looks like as well. Yeah. And I, I only say that because like, you know, obviously the position I'm in, I, this is gear, right? I use what gear I want to when it's good gear. I, I talk about the gear and, you know, occasionally yeah. they'll, Hey, let's go on a hunt together. Or, hey, you know, what, whatever to be rewarded for your work. And, you know, a lot of com- there's companies out there that are like, Hey, our product's good. You know, it's really good. And we're, we're just not going to pay anyone. We feel our product is going to stand, uh, you know, it'll stand strong on its own. That is not the case. Um, and I am amazed every day at what products will get put more of on top of a pedestal because of who's using them uh, above and beyond, you know, something that's six rungs down that's 10 times the product. And and it's weird when you look at that. This is totally off the subject of what we were initially talking about in the beginning. But I, it's kind of something for people to think about is 
just because there's not a bunch of the new cool kids on the block promoting certain organizations and including the, the DSC doesn't mean they're not cool. They're just focusing their monies on, on actually doing their job. Uh, and that's something to think about, you know, but it is, yeah. a, it, it is a, it is a marketing nightmare, you know, when it comes to that. You bet. Now, point well taken for sure. Anyhow, well, man, I, I appreciate you coming on. I think we, we covered everything I wanted to. And I, I, again, my, my, um, affiliation with, uh, um, the DSC has been at a pretty much an arm's length. I mean, we, 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 you know, we pay for our membership and we like what they do. And I just know because I have so many people, uh, friends in high and low places that are affiliated and, and, and strong believers in you guys, that it's something that everybody should go take a look at and join. What, uh, uh, where can people hop on to, to join the website's pretty easy to find, but go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, it's biggame.org, so it's pretty easy to find. And, uh, yeah, we'd be happy to answer any questions, conservation-related or membership or whatever. And, you know, another offer that I was speaking in another organization's Life Member Breakfast recently that, that, that I'd made to folks is just a, a general level of interest on uh, engagement needs, legislation as well. If someone just wants to reach out and engage with us and say, hey, man, keep me informed on things so I can activate uh you know, we, we would be more than happy to do that just to plug them in. So they're getting information and they know what's happening around them. Gotcha. Well, cool. Well, man, I, I strongly encourage everybody to, uh, to go check it out, go join, even if it's just for a year, uh, to get your feet wet. It's not very expensive. I think, uh, when I signed up, it was 250 bucks for three years or 230. I'm not sure. And obviously I, that was for me personally, I signed Kafaro up for something much more than that. Cause it wasn't my money, but, uh, it's worthwhile. Uh, they do a lot of good things. So check it out. And, uh, man, you got anything to, to say parting shots here? No, I appreciate it, Aaron. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to visit and uh, kick these things around. Thanks for the time, man. Yeah, no problem. Take it easy.